0: everyone and welcome to the Renew Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, business and mindset coach Kieran Lenahan. I help faith-driven entrepreneurs grow their businesses, spend more time with family, and be more like Jesus and keep their discipleship to Jesus at the center of their lives. Today, really pumped to have you here with me. We're going to be talking about something called deep work. Many of you have likely heard of Cal Newport's book with that title, Deep Work, He's also the author of the book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, which is another classic. He's a professor who teaches computer science at Georgetown. He got his PhD from MIT, super smart guy, knows what he's talking about. But before diving into deep work, if we zoom out even further, what we're really talking about today is very much linked to our conversation in episode 15 when we talked about wealth creation. We talked about stewardship and this idea That wealth creation for entrepreneurs who follow Jesus is actually a holy calling. And the reason that deep work is linked to wealth creation is because it's connected to value creation, which we're going to talk about in a bit. You always hear people in the business world, whether it's on blogs or podcasts or wherever, talking about how important it is to give value to your audience, to offer value, to create value. And it's one of those phrases I think that gets said so often that it loses its potency and meaning and people hear it and they kind of get it, but they don't necessarily understand what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? How do I apply that? So here's our plan for today. I want to set the backdrop. So I want to get us on the same page first with what value creation is because as entrepreneurs, value creation and wealth creation are two things very much linked and that have overlap that are at the core, that are central to our vocation and our callings. And without understanding value creation, deep work and how important it is won't hit in the same way. It won't resonate as deeply as it needs to. We won't realize how important it is. After that, then we'll get into what is deep work. We'll talk about deep work versus shallow work. What are they? What are some examples? How do I know if I'm doing deep or shallow work? And then I want to introduce Very briefly, an idea that Cal Newport calls attention residue. And then we're going to wrap up with how to do deep work. Remarkably simple, incredibly difficult, totally worth it. First, let's start with value creation. Do you ever think about how everything that we have today, every piece of material, technology, the clothes you're wearing, everything in the room that you're in right now, from the chair you're sitting on to the pen on your desk, and the window that you look out of. What was needed to create those objects existed in the beginning of time when everything was created. Those objects were all created from the raw materials of the universe. And when we read that God created and said it was good, and then that he rested, it wasn't that he rested because he was so fatigued and tired from the process of creating. It was a recognition of completeness. It was a kind of rest like when an artist is creating a sculpture or they're painting a painting and they've just done their last stroke of the brush and they know that it's done. It's complete and that if they were to do anything else it would mess up the painting. The point is God created the universe with this untapped potential and one of the aspects of our callings as human beings is to work that potential and to create new things and to bear the image of creator God, to represent God's qualities to the world and to steward creation. In other words, the universe was pre-installed with what was needed to create everything that we see around us from airplanes to cars to computers and the internet. Even Jesus, if you think about it, he was a carpenter. He took the raw materials of wood and whatever else he used to build things back then and turned them into useful things. This is why people even those who don't know God or have a relationship with him can't help but create. It is in our nature as humans to create and to innovate. We just can't help it. So taking the raw potential of the universe and turning it into valuable tools and resources is part of what it means to be human. Even further than that, as entrepreneurs who love God, it's part of our calling to do that and to do that in a way that is redemptive, restorative, and that creates economic value. The things, the products and services that we create are meant to bend in the direction of the kingdom. Literally, it's as if we say with our hearts, with our minds, where is God's will not being done on earth as it is in heaven? Where is there brokenness where there is meant to be wholeness in the world and to bring healing to those places through our businesses, through the products and services we create, through our interactions with people, and through everything that we do. So that's just some backdrop. That's some mini theology on work and vocation and entrepreneurship. Now, let's just talk and get really clear on what is value creation and then get into deep versus shallow work. So value creation in our context as faith-driven entrepreneurs is taking the raw materials or the raw information out in the world. Maybe it's not even physical materials, but it's raw information out in the world and combining it, presenting it, packaging it in a way that's helpful Or valuable to somebody else. So, using even more specific examples or language, value creation could look like bringing new awareness to a problem for somebody. For example, a therapist might help you bring awareness to and then healing around a relationship that you had in the past, right? That is helpful, that is valuable to you. Teaching someone something that they didn't know is another way of creating value. When I teach you something new on the podcast, I'm creating value. If you teach someone what foods will help them reach their health goals, you're creating value for that person. You can create enjoyable experiences. One of my previous clients is hosting a retreat soon where I guarantee people will create new relationships. They're going to draw closer to God. They're going to have experiences that they really, really enjoy and that they're going to remember for a long time that's valuable. Think about going to a concert or even a 5k race. It's an experience that people are willing to invest money in to pay for because they enjoy it. There's value there. Last two things here, you might be able to save somebody time. That's valuable. If you create a process to get from one place to another faster, then they can do it on their own. You've created value, right? This is one of the, the really important aspects of the mastermind that I just launched. It's going to save people a lot of time building their business and creating revenue. The entrepreneurs in the mastermind will get further faster there than they would if they tried to do it on their own without any help. That is valuable to them. And then the last example that I'll share here in terms of what it could look like to create value is that maybe you're just making something easier for somebody else. If you break down a complex task into simple steps and teach someone how to do it, you make their life easier. If you are actually executing work for a client that they don't want to do themselves, you're making their life easier and that's valuable. One of my clients is in the data analytics space and sometimes a client that he works with, it's easier for him to just execute the work than to have them do it and they don't have to worry about it. That is valuable. And so the rhythm of entrepreneurship, like at a very high level is this, create value, communicate value, capture value in that order, right? So people aren't going to pay you unless you're bringing value to the table and you've created value. You're making their life easier. You're teaching them how to do something. You're creating an enjoyable experience. You create value. Then you communicate it, right? That's marketing, The biggest tragedy that I see in entrepreneurship is somebody who's really, really good at their craft and they can provide a ton of value or they've already created a ton of value, but they're not making money because their marketing isn't adequately communicating the value that they can bring. And then after you've created and communicated the value, now you just capture the value, right? So you create a product or a service, an offering to trade the value that you've created in exchange for money. And so creating and communicating value, you can think about that as you're creating value, you're writing yourself a check, your future self a check. Capturing it is like actually depositing that check. And so, for example, if you are a graphic designer, let's say you went to design school and you built a portfolio, you you built a skill set, you learned how to do the actual work and to create things that businesses, for example, perceive as valuable. You have now created value. If you did absolutely nothing else, you there is value there that is unmined, that is untapped. When you decide to create an offering, and you decide to communicate that and and make that known to the world, so you communicate that value, and then you create a product or an offering to capture that value, that's when you have the ability to make money. And you can see in this example the really important principle that the creation of the value precedes the capturing of the value. The money that you make as an entrepreneur is never going to exceed or outpace the value that you've created. And so in this example, if you graduated in 2018 from design school, and then four years later in 2022, you actually decided, hey, I'm going to create an offering, create a service, and I'm gonna tell people about it and market that they can hire me for my design work. Now you have a vehicle, you have an ability to capture that value that has been latent, that has been simply just potential up until that point. And now you're able to capture that value. And the main takeaway here, which is important for the conversation that we're having in this episode as we get into talking about deep work, is that money is the effect. Money is the byproduct of helping people in meaningful ways of creating value. Creating value is the leading indicator of entrepreneurial success. If you are not creating value, You are not going to make money. Money is the lagging indicator of success. It's a natural byproduct. A lot of people get the order of those operations wrong. People go straight to trying to capture value before creating it or communicating it effectively. And so value creation, it is foundational. It is one of the most fundamental skill sets that you have to have as an entrepreneur. There's no other way around it. So now let's turn our attention to and talk about deep work. And I want to start with Cal Newport's hypothesis that he shares in his book and then we'll define deep work versus shallow work and go from there. And so here's the the hypothesis that Cal shares. He says the ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at exactly the same time it is becoming increasingly valuable in our economy. And as a consequence, the few people who cultivate this skill and make it the core of their working life, will thrive. So that's his hypothesis. Here's how he defines deep work. Professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive abilities to their limit. And these efforts create new value, improve your skill, and are hard To replicate. And then he goes on to say, deep work is necessary to wring every last drop of value out of your current intellectual capacity. And he says, we now know from decades of research in psychology and neuroscience that the state of mental strain, aka how hard you have to work, how hard your brain has to work, the mental strain that accompanies deep work is necessary to improve your abilities. AKA, when you don't do deep work, you don't experience any mental strain. And when you don't experience any mental strain, you don't improve or increase your abilities. In fact, they could actually atrophy. It's like at the gym, if I were to do bicep curls with two pound weights, I'm not going to put any strain on my muscles. And as a result, I'm not going to get any stronger. In fact, I might get weaker. And so deep work is distraction-free concentration. On one thing at a time. It stretches your cognitive capabilities to their limit. It creates new value. Again, what we just talked about. It improves your skill. And the products of this type of work, of deep work, are hard to replicate. Now let's compare it to its opposite. Shallow work. Shallow work Cal defines as non-cognitively demanding, logistical style tasks that are often performed while distracted. And so these efforts tend to not create much new value and they are easy to replicate, end quote. And so shallow work is work that is reactive. It's often in response to something that comes up and it doesn't require intense concentration. So we have deep work, it's proactive, it's distraction-free, it's one thing at a time, planned ahead of time with intention. Shallow work is reactive, often distracted, or interrupted work that you didn't necessarily plan on doing, or that is interrupted by other tasks and is broken up into smaller chunks of time that you're working on it. And so the differences between deep work and shallow work, on one hand, are about the type of tasks that you're doing and the type of focus that it requires, the level of cognitive strain that it puts on you. But then the other piece is actually the quality of of your work, the quality of your focus, the quality of your attention that you give to it. Now, there is one part of the book where Cal talks about how most people replace deep work or have replaced deep work with the shallow alternative. He says they're constantly sending and receiving emails like human network routers with frequent breaks for quick hits of distraction. And I read that and I was like, Ouch. Human network routers, frequent breaks for hits of distraction. How often are we simply pushing around information, consuming information, or even creating content from a very surface level place? Just skimming from thing to thing, task to task, switching between windows and apps. Which brings me to the poster children for shallow work. And then I want to talk about some of the research and the negative effects of shallow work. And then we'll wrap up with how do you do deep work? What does this actually look like in practice? Where do you go from here? Unsurprisingly, the poster children for shallow work are social media and email. Checking, scrolling, responding. Like, have you ever had the experience where you've interrupted yourself in the middle of typing an email because you remembered that other thing that you needed to do And that other thing involved opening up a social media app. And 10 minutes later, you realize, I can't even remember why I opened the app in the first place, right? Our memory, our short-term memory is atrophying, our attention is becoming so fragmented when it's so used to being constantly interrupted and given input and things to consume. And so let's talk about some of the negative effects or the symptoms of shallow work and what's at stake here. And the first thing I want to do is introduce this concept that I mentioned earlier called attention residue, which is basically when you switch from some task, from task A to task B, your attention doesn't immediately follow. There is a residue, there's a leftover of your attention that remains stuck thinking about the original task. And in the book, Cal writes that people experiencing attention residue after switching tasks are likely to demonstrate poor performance on that next task. And that the more intense the residue, the more caught up they are in the previous task, the worse their performance on the current task. And so there's a a number of studies that really dive deep into multitasking, into this idea of doing shallow work. And the research repeatedly shows us how detrimental multitasking is to our brain. And what I find is so interesting is that if you asked anybody if multitasking is a good thing that you should seek to do, pretty much everyone is going to say no, and they recognize that it makes them do both tasks with less effectiveness than if they just focus on one thing. But we still do it. Now, why is that? Some interesting research shows that one of the reasons why people still multitask, even when they know it's not good for them, do it because there's a false sense of accomplishment when they jump from task to task. Multitaskers actually become addicted to the instant gratification that comes after completing a small task, like sending an email or getting their inbox to zero instead of having one unread message or getting rid of the red bubble on their app. This leads to a really dangerous feedback loop that leads you to believe that you're actually getting a lot done and producing at an optimal rate. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a deception. It's not actually real. It's not true. All of the research points to our brains are actually dumbed down while multitasking, and over the long term, we actually get less done. There's a study, for example, at the University of London that found that people who multitask experienced drops in their IQ comparable to somebody who missed a night of sleep. Even if they felt like they were getting more done, they're actually working at a much lower cognitive level and costing their companies, in this context it was in a corporate environment, Costing companies billions of dollars in lost productivity, they found that just knowing that an unread email is sitting in your inbox can reduce your IQ by 10 points. And men who multitask have it the worst, their IQ can drop as much as 15 points, which literally means that they would have the cognitive equivalent of an eight-year-old. Let that sink in. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily, no offense to eight-year-olds, I don't want an eight-year-old running my business. And the last piece of research here that I'll share around cognitive costs is that if you're a multitasker, if that's generally something that you do, you might have actually done some serious permanent damage to your brain. There is a study that ran MRI scans on the brains of multitaskers and compared that to people who didn't multitask. And they found that the multitaskers had less brain density in areas that controlled empathy and emotions, right? And then there are just a bunch of bunch of other effects, multitasking leads to short-term memory loss, fragmented attention span, lower reading comprehension, right? You open your phone, you forget why you opened your phone. The scariest part to me is that this all seems normal. This is the water that we swim in, the air that we breathe. Everybody does it, right? It's one of those things. Not everybody does it. And I don't think that we as faith-driven entrepreneurs want to be in that camp. I think we want to be operating differently. And so let's connect some of the dots here. As humans, we're called to take the raw materials of the world and cultivate them and create new things with them. As faith-driven entrepreneurs specifically, we're called to create value, to create products and services and experiences that are restorative, that are redemptive, that bring healing, that make things the way that they were meant to be. In order to do that, in order to create value, to create those kinds of products and services, it requires deep work undistracted, focused work where you do one thing at a time. The best innovation, the most impactful ideas, products, services, businesses that have ever been born into the world came as a result of deep work. I was thinking about those times when I read a quote or hear a quote that just really strikes me right in the heart and it's it's packed with wisdom and it actually has an impact on me. Those quotes are always coming from deep thinkers and deep workers So let's review the deep work hypothesis again and then talk about how do you do it. The ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare. At exactly the same time, it's becoming increasingly valuable. Shallow work is available everywhere. It's all over the internet, all over social media, all over the podcasting space. So how do you stand out in the noise of the internet and the market of today's world? How do you fulfill your potential as a faith-driven entrepreneur? You create value aka you create things that are not easy to replicate, you do deep work. And so the million dollar question then is, how do we do deep work? Now, if you have ever tried to make deep work, distraction-free work, a habit, you know how difficult this can be. Maybe you've done it here and there once or twice and you've experienced it and it's been amazing, but actually making this the way that you work, not just something that happens every now and then, Is very difficult. There is a lot working against you. There's your own thought and behavior patterns, the water you swim in, AKA, what everyone else is doing, your physical environment, your digital environment, the teams at tech companies of the most brilliant product designers and software engineers that are literally building technology that is trying to get as much of your attention as possible. There's a lot working against you. Now, there's a lot that I could talk about here, but I wanna hit on four big ideas that for me are incredibly helpful in doing more deep work. The first is having a compelling why. And when I think about having a really strong why, a few things come to mind. The first thing is just the parable of the talents. I know that for me personally, there is a capacity in me to create products and services and businesses even that lead to and facilitate human flourishing in a couple of different areas of life. And there's just a an entrepreneurial itch or maybe just a human itch of curiosity in me that just wants to know like what possibilities and what potential did God bake into me specifically? What are the limits of that? And so there's this just personal, there's this kind of curiosity, this desire to to live into that and to see what even comes of it. And then I think about the gospel. There's a desire to give my full self, to God, fully devoted to making the most out of the gifts and the time that he's given me. When I really sit with and meditate on the gospel, when I picture Jesus on the cross, dying an agonizing death with his arms stretched wide, giving up literally everything for me, My heart wants to respond by giving it all back to him, by giving him everything that I have, squeezing every last drop of whatever's inside of me, and offering that as a living sacrifice. Am I there all the time? Of course not. But when I meditate on that, when I get that into the forefront of my mind, and I sit with that why, to me, that's a really compelling reason to commit to doing deep work, because I know that in order to do that, in order to wring every last drop out of myself, It will require deep, focused, undistracted, concentrated work. And I often think about at the end of my life, I don't want to be on my deathbed feeling like I had more in the tank. I want to leave it all on the field. I've run some 5Ks before, and I know the feeling of getting to the end and realizing I had more energy to give, and I could have gone a little bit faster. I don't want to get to the the end of my life with that feeling. And so that's the long-term why, really, really important but you also need to recognize that it's not just about this long-term fluffy idea of future you on your deathbed. You need to see that this is beneficial immediately for you, the value that you create, the success of your business, and the people that you serve. The reality is that it's literally better for your business and for your family. You get more done in less time, you create more value, and in turn, you can capture more value. So, have a compelling why long-term, have a compelling why short-term. This is really important. The second thing that I would say, very closely related to that, and so I'll be a little bit more brief on this, this has to get into you at an identity level. This is not something that you're just gonna willpower your way to focus more. This is actually something that takes practice. This takes effort. This takes intention. If you just rely on willpower, and don't build it into who you are and and how you just operate, it's doomed to fail. Willpower is the last thing that you want to rely on for this. It'll last just a few days max. This is a commitment to becoming a different kind of entrepreneur. Like one of the rare kinds of people who can listen to somebody talk without checking your phone, a person who can pray a prayer without losing their train of thought, a person who can create solutions to some of the biggest problems that your people experience. So that's number two. Get it into your identity. Get it into who you are. Number three, shape your environment. And this is both physical and digital to ruthlessly eliminate distractions. I've touched on this in a couple of other episodes, this idea of we are in the most technologically advanced and the most distracted age in history. Put your cell phone on the other side of the room when you're working, put it in a different room. Put your computer on do not disturb mode anytime that you're working. Work in full screen mode. Do some of your work away from a computer, away from technology if you can. Certainly get rid of push notifications. Like anything that isn't read 911 emergency, don't get a notification for this. It's not necessary. And along with that, schedule the time for things like checking texts, email, social media, Schedule that into a very specific time block and know that you have that there so that you're not checking it throughout the day. This is not something that you slowly get better at over time with a little bit of effort here and there. You are battling technology that's literally built to exploit human psychology with bright colors, red dots that create a false sense of urgency and just notification after notification, that screen lighting up, you can't help but look. And so you need to organize your environment in such a way that you're not even tempted. Again, we don't want to use willpower. So get rid of distractions. It requires some ruthless decisions. It's the only way, but it's totally worth it. The fourth and last thing that I'll share here, it, it's so simple. It may sound dumb, but it has to be said because it actually is this simple. And the best way to not do this is to continue to stay distracted and keep it complicated. So again, keep it simple. Number four, do deep work. And the last point, you got your environment shaped to facilitate deep work, both in your physical and your digital space. Have those decisions that I talked about made ahead of time, make them non-negotiable. So the no push notifications, the do not disturb, scheduling times for things like checking texts and social media and email, do those things and now commit to a specific period of time where you will do deep work. Don't even think about doing this for forever. Just think about anywhere from two weeks to 30 days and say for the next 30 days, I commit to doing one thing at a time to the best of my ability and repeat that over and over for those 30 days. And in this process, you will learn, you will see where the plan where the plan falls apart. You'll see where there are still notifications or distractions coming through or interruptions. You'll start to learn, do you need to go to a different space? Do you need to make changes to your physical space in order to facilitate deep work? Do those things and then get regular accountability from somebody else, especially early on in those first two to four weeks. If you're working with a coach, make this the focus For a few weeks span, don't work on anything else. Attack this ruthlessly. There are a number of clients that I've worked with on creating their environments and their schedules to make it conducive to and to facilitate deep work. There is an upfront cost to focusing on this, but I promise you it pays back very quickly. And once you establish it as just who you are and what you do, you reap the benefits for a long time and so do the people that you serve. So those are the four things that I would start off with. Have a compelling why, both long-term and short-term. Closely related to that, get this into you at an identity level. This is the kind of person, the kind of entrepreneur that you are. Number three, shape your environment, both physical and digital, to ruthlessly eliminate distractions. And number four, do deep work. Commit to it for a short period of time and just go all in on it. There's part of the book where Cal Newport says that most people take a break from shallow, distracted work to do deep work, where deep work actually feels like the exception. And it's a a last resort for needing to get work done. I remember distinctly when I was working in corporate, this happened a decent amount. My colleagues and I, we would reach a point where there was just no way that we could actually get our work done before a deadline without locking ourselves in a room or holing up on the third floor away from our department and blocking out all the interruptions and distractions. Deep work was the last resort instead of the go-to, instead of the default. What could our businesses look like? What could our collective impact as faith-driven entrepreneurs be if we flip that upside down? Where most of the time we're doing deep work and then we're occasionally distracted by shallow work. Let's wrap up the episode. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Obviously, the context of this is not talking about doing deep work or entrepreneurship. It's talking about entering the kingdom of heaven. But this is a principle that we see play out in absolutely every area of life where the path that most people take in business, relationships, fitness, your spiritual life, your diet, etc. The path that most people take is not the one that leads to flourishing. To choose to be a follower of Jesus, to choose to be a faith-driven entrepreneur is a choice to take the narrow path in so many situations Deep work is one of those things where just so few people do this, and it will continue to become more and more rare as the world becomes more and more distracted. And maybe it doesn't lead to destruction in the same way as not giving your life to God. But even for us as followers of Jesus, it can certainly lead to mediocrity. It can lead to untapped potential, to a level of work that isn't done with depth and with excellence and devotion to God. So take the path less traveled. Shallow work is often at odds with the most important work that you were put on this earth to do, the most important work that you're called to in your business. Deep work is where that work happens. It's where your gifts are fully expressed and fully come alive and are shared with the world. So let's stop multitasking. Let's start monotasking. It's a real word. Look it up. Create an environment conducive to deep work. Become the kind of entrepreneur for whom deep work is the norm, not the exception. The world, the marketplace, our audiences, our clients, they want and they need the things that we can only produce through deep, focused, undistracted, one thing at a time work. If you want help making some ruthless changes to the way that you work in and on your business and implementing some of the things that we talked about today, Book a call at lenahancoaching.com slash discovery and we'll see if we're fit for one-on-one coaching. Have a great week and I will talk to you next time on the Renew Your Mind podcast.